Hello and welcome to this podcast series of the first 50 years of the history of the American Republic. I'm Chris McKenna and I'm here with my co-host, Kathy Conroy. Hi, Chris. Thank you. In today's podcast, we are discussing significant events leading up to the American Revolution that took place between 1764 and 1770. In 1764, King George III is a mere 26 years old running the British Empire, which had a vast territory and significant power at that time. In fact, their territory rivaled that of the Roman Empire. But England needs money because they need to pay for the French and Indian War. So King George III decides he's going to tax the American colonists, and he comes up with the Sugar Act. The Sugar Act is a tax placed on uh, several duties on imports such as coffee and wine, and it also required the colonists to exclusively sell their iron and timber and a few other goods back to England. Now, this wasn't the first time that the American colonists had actually been taxed by England. They had the Molasses Act tax on the book for a couple of decades, but the American colonists had really figured out a way to circumvent that tax by bribing the tax collecting agents. So in reality, Chris, the American colonists really hadn't contributed any significant revenue to England over the past several decades. But the colonists protested the Sugar Act tax vehemently. Also during this similar time frame in the early 1760s, the committees of correspondence are formed, which allow the colonists to begin to communicate with one another. True. It's very important and interesting to understand the era in which the committees of correspondence existed. There were at the time no means of mass communication other than newspapers, and if you wanted to communicate over a big distance, you had to write letters. There were no post offices, no cell phones, no internet, so a member of the Committee of Correspondence, which was formed by people wanting to communicate their problems to other colonists, and these were all men who knew each other from business, uh, the legal profession, other professionals, doctors. So they decided to form these Committees of Correspondence. And when a guy in Boston, one of the members of the committee, wanted to write to a committeeman in Virginia outlining the problems and challenges they saw with Britain, they would write a letter and hand it off to a guy on horseback, who would then ride to New York and hand it off to another guy who would ride to Philadelphia, who would hand it off to another guy and ride to Virginia. Sort of like the prototype of the Pony Express. Now with good weather, the best roads and good horses, it took four to six days just to get from Boston to New York City. So it might take three weeks to get a letter to Virginia. The committees, through all these letters, led to a gradual awareness among the various colonies that no particular colony was faring any better than any other colony, and that all were dealing with the same issues and challenges with Britain. One of the primary concerns shared by the colonists was their position that they were being ruled by King George III and the British Parliament, but they had no direct representation in Parliament. There was a lot of discussion in the British Parliament about this issue, Chris, and it's worth talking about it a little bit. From the viewpoint of the American colonists, they felt that taxes were to be voted on by legislators who represented the people. And the legislators in their colonies had not agreed to or voted on this tax. 
And to be fair, the majority of representatives in Parliament shared the view that the British subjects living in the American colonies were the citizens or subjects of, of England and benefited from and were protected by that vast and powerful British Empire that you mentioned. Therefore, why shouldn't they be required to contribute money to England in return for this status and those benefits? And their logic continued that they were represented, at least virtually in the Parliament, by the mere fact that they were British subjects and that all British subjects were represented by all the members of Parliament. So despite all the protests of the colonists over the Sugar Act tax, it fell on deaf ears. And a year later, King George III decides he's going to come up with another tax on the American colonists. This one's called the Stamp Act tax. And this required that a tax be paid for every piece of paper that the colonists purchased for conducting business. So you can only imagine how much this annoyed the colonists, especially since their primary communication to one another was by letter writing. So they vehemently protested this tax and actually were successful in getting this one repealed. And is that where the uh, popular motto, no taxation without representation, started? It was. It absolutely was. So now we're in 1770, and we have the Boston Massacre event. And this event is significant in that it's the first time that an argument between the American colonists and England actually ends in violence. True. Up till now, it had all been relatively civil political discourse. At the center of the Boston Massacre is a young 13-year-old boy named Edward Garrick. Garrick is an apprentice, learning a trade from a master in the trade. And in those times, the relationship between the master and the apprentice became almost familial. Both sides had an obligation to each other, and it became a very close relationship. Well, Garrick believes that one of the British soldiers hasn't paid a legitimate debt to his master for services. So Garrick goes and confronts this British soldier and starts arguing with him, demanding payment. The soldier insists he's paid the bill. Well, the argument escalates, it's very loud, it's outdoors, and all of a sudden a crowd starts gathering. Now, once the crowd starts gathering, the British soldier begins to get a little nervous, so he calls for reinforcements. Pretty soon, more British soldiers arrive on the scene. As more British soldiers arrive on the scene, the colonists begin throwing rocks, bottles, rotten fruit, because they weren't happy with Britain too much anyway at that time. As the argument escalates and the rock throwing gets more angry, a shot rings out. British soldier shoots, which causes other British soldiers to begin shooting. In the heat of all of this, five colonists end up dead. And it was later proven afterwards that the British soldier had indeed paid his lawful debt to Garrick's master. It could be said that in some senses, Edward Garrick, this 13-year-old boy, actually started the American Revolution. Interestingly, at the trial of one of the British soldiers accused of shooting the colonists, the soldier was successfully represented by John Adams, who became our second president. So the decade of 1760 to 1770 ends with the colonists becoming increasingly unhappy with England and the treatment they're getting from England. And as the new decade begins, things are only going to get worse. Or better, depending on your point of view. That's true. In our next podcast, we're going to talk about some of the significant events that lead up to the Declaration of Independence.